Good afternoon and happy Sabbath. Nice to see all of you here today. And um, there's, of course, I only come here once in a while, but you may have some visitors here today, and we want to welcome you. If you're a visitor today, we want to welcome you. We're very glad you're here. Good to see you, Bill. And nice to see you today. Um, I'd like to have a little prayer, and then I'm going to share with you some things from the Word of God. So I'm going to just take a moment and uh, kneel and ask for the Lord's blessing. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank and praise Thee so much for this beautiful Sabbath day. We want to thank you and praise you for all the blessings that have been given to us. And Father, as sincere believers, we come before thy throne of grace today. We are praying that the Lord Jesus will send to us a blessing, that his mediatorial work and blood will cover our sins as we confess them and repent of them, and that we will make sure and certain work for our preparation for thy coming by seeking thee. Lord, please help me today. Thou dost know my weakness. And I am praying that Christ and his word will be uplifted and that we will be drawn together and drawn to thee. So please send your angels and send your Holy Spirit here to speak to us and to be near to us. And please prepare us for that very happy and glorious day when you appear in the clouds of heaven and we leave behind forever this earth and all its sorrow and loss and tragedy. Thank you for hearing our prayer. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Last time I was here, I talked to you about the um, subject of amalgamation. Do you remember that? Amalgamation, it means combining things together that do not belong together. It's illegal or incorrect or immoral to have them bound together. And uh, I think that's a very interesting subject. Today I'm going to talk to you about the first angel's message. Um, But one of the quotes that I shared with you last time was from the book Prophets and Kings, where it says that the enemy of God and man knows that truth unmixed with error, truth unmixed with error is mighty to save. And brothers and sisters, if you want truth unmixed with error... It's in the Bible. Truth unmixed with error is mighty to save, and we must study this book as never before. Um, I just want to mention something to you briefly. I, I think we always need to be encouraged to do our part to get this message out in whatever way we can. And uh, my family and I had the unusual opportunity to do some traveling uh, uh, recently, and I, last Sabbath I spoke in a church a couple of times. Um, And I prayed that on this trip, God would help us to meet someone that would make an eternal difference in their lives. And uh, only he knows what the outcome of that will be. But um, I pulled into a gas station to buy gas, and a man was pumping across the aisle, and he began talking to me. Uh, about the luggage on the van. And so we had a, a brief, nice little conversation. And before I walked in to the gas station, I handed him a book, Great Controversy. I said, here's a gift for you. 
I walked on in, uh, got my change, came back out. By that time, his wife had the book in her hand, and she was very excited. She said, this book is about the Reformation. She said, how did you know to give us this book? So, yeah, she said this. Last year was a 500-year anniversary. She was all excited, and, uh, and I told her the book was written over 100 years ago. But anyway, she was very interested. Now, why would someone become so excited? Isn't that divine power? So the next day or so, we were on down the road, and um, it was early in the morning. I stopped and got gas, and there was a lady there, and it was in Kansas, and I gave her a great controversy. And I said, ma'am, here's a gift for you. And and, uh, she said, this is absolutely fantastic. She said, I love to read. She says, you don't know how much this means to me. Now, why would someone give such a positive response on such a short encounter? Brothers and sisters, God is definitely opening up hearts out there. Uh, that, you know, Paul says in Romans chapter 9, he says, uh, Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, though the number the, of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved, for he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. He will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. As the great controversy on the evil side is accelerating, we see all kinds of things happening and multiple so fast now that it makes your mind to spend even to try to keep up with it. So the Lord is going to be moving mightily in these last days and he needs people that are ready for it. Yeah. So I pray that we will be among those people. Now, in the book of Revelation, we are told in Revelation chapter 14 in the first angel's message, John says, and you know the language well, it deserves repeating and it deserves pondering upon. And that is in Revelation chapter 14, it says, and I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment is come. And worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment is come. We must all face the judgment of heaven. And God has given us information in his word on how to be ready for that time. And the Seventh-day Adventist Church has been especially raised up to give to the world the last warning message of a judgment hour come. Of a savior who is willing to redeem and of his power and how to be ready. And that's what we want to take a look at a little bit uh, this morning. Also, and I just want to throw this in, as you read down through the three angels' messages, immediately after they are proclaimed, you see Christ coming in the clouds of heaven. In Revelation chapter 14, with a sickle, he's coming now as a harvester. He's not coming as a priest. His work as a priest is done. And that's why, brothers and sisters, if, if we are to be benefited by the ministry of Christ, uh, at all his saving ministry it must be done now because the door will shut probation will close as certainly as it was in the days of noah when the ark shut no more opportunity for salvation so it will be again at the end of time but the third angel points to a people and he says this in conclusion he says here is the patience of the saints That's fine. You're fine. You're fine. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So there's three 
main points mentioned at the conclusion. There, the third angel says, look at these people. They're patient. They're patient. They keep the commandments of God, and they have the faith of Jesus. And the faith of Jesus is an absolute trust in God and in his word. In fact, in three, that gets a whole subject in itself, but three selected messages, page 172 says, faith in the ability of Christ, faith in the ability of Christ to save us amply, fully, and entirely is the faith of Jesus. Faith in the ability of Christ to save us amply, fully, and entirely is the faith of Jesus. There's nowhere else to go but Christ for salvation. None, nowhere. He's eternal God. He's all-powerful Savior. The third angel is pointing to that group. I pray earnestly that you and I will be in the group that he is pointing to. Patient people, commandment keepers, and those who have the faith of Jesus. Now, one other thing before I get into the first angel's message, I just want to, uh, to me, this is one of the most wonderful verses. And by the way, brothers and sisters, as we get near to the end of time, we have got to really focus on a number of things, but one of them is on memorizing Bible verses. And it's better to have 10 Bible verses drilled into your mind than 100 of them you can't hardly recall. So memorize Bible verses. But here's, in my opinion, if there's one chapter, I don't know if I should say that, but anyway, if there is one chapter that you would memorize in preparation for the time of the the end, it could well be Romans chapter 8. That's a phenomenal chapter. It's a tremendous chapter. It would be a wonderful study and subject and sermon all of its own. But Romans chapter 8, Paul says this, and I don't do much for remembering the numbers. It may be verse 16 or 17, but Paul says, or 18, but Paul says, for I reckon, I reckon that the, in other words, I conclude, I understand the fact. He says, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And there's bound to be some of you here today that are even suffering now. Only God knows about it. Hang on. Keep trusting Christ. Do not give in. Do not give in to the temptations of the enemy to do wrong. Commit your soul to God in well-doing and be certain that you'll uh, go to the end. One more thing I've got to tack, tack onto that. Allow me. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus describes the time of the end and he says this, and as iniquity abounds, the love of many shall wax cold. As iniquity abounds, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that endureth unto the end, the same shall be saved. And a friend of mine pointed out to me recently that the word endure means to remain 
when others turn back. The word endure means to remain when others turn back. In other words, Jesus is referring to a people that are determined unequivocally to be faithful to the end of time, no matter what costs them, even if all those around them turn back. Though no one join me, yet I will follow. Right? Like the song says. Okay? So in the first angel's message, we have, uh, of course, all three angels' messages are extremely important. And in the first angel's message, we have the announcement that the hour of God's judgment has come. Brothers and sisters, the Seventh-day Adventist movement was raised up for the purpose of of proclaiming Revelation chapter 14, this final message to the world. In every every generation, every age, God has had a people to proclaim a message. Noah proclaimed the message that the flood is coming. John the Baptist proclaimed the message that Messiah was now here and that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And God has always had his representatives down through the years. And now God has raised up the Seventh-day Adventist movement to give these three angels' messages to the world. One of the best blessings and probably the best single blessing that God has given the Seventh-day Adventist church, besides the Bible, is the writings of Ellen G. White. You know, I even met a non-Adventist man one time who had read Great Controversy. He said, you know what? He said, when I read books by Ellen G. White, this was a non-Adventist. He said, when I read books by Ellen G. White, he said, I feel the Spirit of God resting upon me. Non-Adventist. Wow. So God is definitely uh, using these books. But in early writings, page 63, I'm pretty sure I'm right on the page. It's been quite a while since I looked at that. But in early writings, page 63, Ellen White says, that there are many truths in the word of God, many truths in the word of God, but what the flock especially needs now is present truth, present truth. And she mentions in that statement four things. She mentions the sanctuary, the 2,300 days, the commandments of God, and the faith of Jesus. The sanctuary, the 2,300 days, the commandments of God, in the faith of Jesus. She says these are calculated to sanctify God's people and to unite God's people. And brothers and sisters, if we ever needed a time when we need to be united and sanctified, it's now. Sometimes when I look at the moment at Adventism, it seems to me like we're in the days of the book of Judges when it says uh, at least a couple times, in those days there was no king in Israel and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And there are some issues that are really splitting us up now, like the women's ordination issue and other things. Um, but, you know, you can't have unity unless you're agreed on truth. That's why we've got to study the truth. The commandments of God, the sanctuary, the 2300 days, and the faith of Jesus. Maybe, hopefully, in some ways, we'll touch on each one of those uh, today. Now, it's a fact based on Daniel 8, 14 and many other scriptures in the Bible that ever since 1844, Christ entered a new phase of ministry. Did you know that, and that was that he entered, he went from the holy place in the heavenly sanctuary to the most holy place in the heavenly sanctuary. In fact, let me read you just one verse on that. Please go to the book of Daniel chapter 7. By the way, the subject of the judgment, according to Stephen Haskell, and I uh, give him full credit for credibility, uh, is he, he says that it's mentioned, the judgment, just the subject of the judgment is mentioned over 1,000 times in the Bible. 
just the subject of the judgment. Every Bible writer talks of the judgment. And, of course, it's um, part of present truth in the last days. If you would, I'd like for you to go to Daniel chapter 7. After mentioning the four main world empires, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, pagan Rome, uh, and then certainly papal Rome, Daniel says in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, he says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. I saw in the night visions, I'm going to read the verse again, Daniel seven thirteen. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Who's the Son of Man? Jesus Christ, okay? What are the clouds of heaven? Yeah, it has to be. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, some company of angels, not that Jesus needs help getting around, but heaven does things with formality, at least in some cases or many cases. In this case, a large group of angels or some size of group of angels, took Christ in a formal way from the holy place of the heavenly sanctuary to the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary. It's evidently a very vast place because it holds millions and millions of angels, uh, hundreds of millions. And so they took Christ, and it says, the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days. Who is the Ancient of Days? God the Father, and they brought him near before him. This happened in 1844. Verse 14, and there was given him, that is Christ, dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. You see, brothers and sisters, there was a angel. How long ago, we don't know, but he was extremely beautiful, extremely bright, and he went nuts. And his name is Lucifer, now Satan. Okay? And he challenged the government of God. He said, God, your law is wrong. You're unfair. and went on and on with all his lies and deceptions. Um, in fact, one of the devil's problems, you know, is discontent. You read the book, Great Controversy, describes Satan's re- rebellion. One of the words that's commonly repeated is discontent. That's not a good tent to live in. Get out of it. Discontent. <clears throat> he challenged the government of God, and God could have, at that time, immediately destroyed Satan. But the Bible says God is love. And the Bible also says, come now and let us reason together. God knew that if he destroyed Satan at that time immediately, there would have always been a lingering thought in some minds or all minds as to whether or not God was right or the devil was right. And so God said, you know what? We're going to have to let this painful experiment go on for 6,000 years. And then when all the evidence is in, my name will be fully vindicated. 
and I will be loved because it will seen it will be seen that I am worthy to be loved. And the whole issue, brothers and sisters, in this great controversy is over the law of God. Whether or not we are to obey it, whether or not it's fair, and because of the terrible problem with the law of God being disobeyed, Jesus had to come and die for your sins and mine. If you want to see how bad sin is, think about the cross. You can think about the cross for eternity, and we should think about it a lot now, but the cross explains many things. But one thing the cross proves is that sin is very bad, very bad. Paul said, sin deceived me. He also talked about the exceeding sinfulness of sin. If you, want, if you want to see another thing by looking at the cross, you can see the value of a soul. Why in the world would the eternal God pay an infinite price? Brothers and sisters, it was a re- very real and certain risk that Jesus came to this world and died for us. That was very real. He could have failed in his mission. He could have. He could have. But we're told in the book Desire of Ages that when Christ died on the cross and he cried out, it is finished, that his name was heralded from world to world throughout the entire universe. They said, yes, it's clinched now, and the victory of the great controversy will be won. But the Lord is yet evidently since the cross, the Lord is yet to have evidence that is to be brought in, and part of that evidence is going to be in the last group of his people who will be translated when he comes again. Now, In the first angel's message, we were told, fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. In the Old Testament, there were types of the New Testament fulfillments, and one of those types was the Day of Atonement. One day out of the year, there was to be a special consecration to God. And if you would like to take your Bibles and just go to uh, Leviticus chapter 16, um, I would like to read to you just a few verses, and then we'll comment on them as we have some time. Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16, I'm looking at verse 29 and 30. Uh, This whole chapter explains the Day of Atonement. Also Leviticus 23, Leviticus 16, 29. And this shall be a statute forever unto you, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, ye shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether it be one of your own country or a stranger that sojourneth among you, For on that day shall the priest make an atonement for you to cleanse you, that ye may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It shall be a Sabbath of rest unto you, and ye shall afflict your souls by a statute forever. So on the tenth day of the seventh month, the priest would make an atonement for you, that ye may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. Now, please turn over a few pages to Leviticus 23. And I'm going to start with verse 27. Leviticus 23 and verse 27. Leviticus 23 and verse 27. Also on the tenth day of this seventh month, there shall be a day of atonement. It shall be an holy convocation unto you, and you shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And ye shall do no work in that same day, for it is a day of atonement to make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. Verse 29. 
For whatsoever soul it be that shall not be afflicted in that same day, he shall be cut off from among his people. In other words, this was a very solemn occasion. The Jews recognized it as a day of judgment. And those who did not cooperate with the requirements on this day and did not afflict their souls will be cut off from amongst God's people. In other words, they would be lost. Okay? Now, there's a number of, of things that were required on this day, and we just read them, but I want to enumerate on them and ponder them just a little bit. One of them was that it was a day of holy convocation. Okay? Now, what, let me ask you, when you read that word in the Bible, what does it mean? Convocation? Huh? Yeah, what are we doing right now? Aren't we convocating? Hmm? Yeah, it's a convocation, right? We're getting together, we're fellowshipping. Right? This, in, in fact, if you would, I'd like for you to go to Hebrews chapter 10, because Paul is looking ahead to the time, to our time, when he wrote this book. And he is speaking of the time when Christ is about to come out of the heavenly sanctuary just before that time. And he says this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. He says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. Verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. So we are to consider one another and provoke, that is, inspire, encourage one another unto love, love and good works, okay? Right? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Church service, Sabbath school, prayer meetings, conference calls. I'm on a conference call once a week, Friday night, where we study the book Great Controversy. What a blessing. What a blessing. Anybody can join. You can start one of your own. But, you know, it's absolutely amazing to hear someone else read and share the truth and how the Holy Spirit uses that. Brothers and sisters, you not only need to hear the word preached, you need to do some of the preaching. Even if it's from the pew when you're sharing in Sabbath school or when it's out on the street witnessing, we all need to express our faith. We have got to share our faith. In fact, if we're not sharing our faith we may be in very serious jeopardy. In fact, according to the word of God, we are. You, we have got to be sharing our faith. Did you know in Revelation chapter 12, it says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, right? We have got to be sharing our faith. Even if you hand a book to someone, say, this book will give you a lot of hope to read. You've just shared your faith. You can start in small ways and then get more experience. By the way, I'm praying for you. Not all by name, some by name, but the church. And I've decided that I need to pray for my own family more earnestly because I see the devil attacking them. 
We have got to get more serious about this, more earnest. I was invited to speak at a little Sunday church tomorrow morning. Please pray for me. There's a man came to the Coshocton Church. I had met him quite a few years ago, since uh, about five times over the last 15, 16 years. And uh, he lives in Amish country. He's not Amish, but uh, he's been convicted of the Sabbath. He came to visit the Coshocton Church a few times. Well, part of his responsibility is for getting speakers to come to this church, and he asked me to come and speak, so I asked you to pray for me. Well, brothers and sisters, we need to get together in fellowship as never before. Maybe call someone, write them up, whatever. Encourage them. We do not know how someone is standing before God. We really don't know. You know, Ellen White says, and I believe it's at the end of the chapter, the Good Samaritan in the book Desire of Ages, she says there have been many, many who have, who have given up the effort and the struggle to reach heaven when if they would have heard one word of encouragement, it would have helped them to overcome. And on that great controversy book club call a few weeks back, one of the brothers shared a story that he had read, and I think it's in the book Christian Service, where Ellen White talks about a man on a very dangerous journey because of the weather. It was so bad, and he had so long been challenged in the cold and the snow he, he figured it was a lost cause, and he was just in the next few steps about ready to give up and say, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I can't make it. When he stumbled across another man who had already fallen, and he was groaning in the snow, and he needed help, it aroused his empathy. He picked up the man, rescued him, took him on to the end of the journey, rescued him and saved him, and then it dawned on him by helping this other man make it. He said, I've saved my own soul. I've saved my own soul. And the Bible says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. We don't know. Now, in, in Leviticus chapter 16, uh, uh, some of the other duties that were mentioned, in, and that is one, is that they, people were to afflict their soul. Afflict their soul. Okay? And connected with afflicting your soul was abstinence from food. Now, on the Old Testament Day of Atonement, it was only a 24-hour period, one day, but they were required to eat zero. Nothing. doesn't say they weren't allowed to drink water, but they were required to eat zero. All right? And they're also required to afflict their souls. Brothers and sisters, we are living now in the time when the judgment process will transfer from the dead to the living, and God will have a people on this earth who will be judged while they are living, and they will be sealed and they will go through the time of trouble, and they will live without a mediator, and they will perfectly overcome all sin because they will depend totally on Jesus who is able to help them to do it. They're going to do it. They're going to get serious about putting away sin from their life. No, Jesus said, every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Let me share something with you. God is particular on some things for a reason. And he is particular on our speech. Now, I know I have been guilty of maybe lightness and even jesting, but I read in the Bible where it says, let 
in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Let this not be once named among you. Have you ever heard the story about the little boy who called, kept calling wolf? Wolf, wolf? Yeah, yeah. And then finally the wolf came and they, no, one, no one saved him, right? Because they thought, this guy's a liar. Have you ever been around someone that jests so much you don't even know what, you really don't know if there's, I don't like, you know what, that's not Christianity. It's the opposite of Christianity. If it was a lie that started the great controversy in the Garden of Eden, or at least on this earth, why would we want to have anything to do with it? Right? We need to aim for truth constantly. So they were to afflict their souls and to overcome sin. Another thing they were to do on this day, they were not to eat any food. Now, we are now living in the literal day of atonement. Do you think God expects us to live without food? Sorry for being ridiculous, but no, obviously not. But God does require of, of people at this time a standard of health reform above what was required in ages past. Okay? That's why we need a renewed interest and enthusiasm on the subject of health reform. Now, there's a lady, and I mentioned it last time, I'm going to mention it again. There's a lady on the internet on YouTube. She's an Adventist woman. She is excellent on the subject of health. Very good. You want to learn about diabetes, arthritis, cancer, the mind, the brain. She has tremendous information on there. She tells a widely publicized story of a man from Australia who was diagnosed by the doctors as having cancer. He was in his 60s. He was a farmer. It kind of blew him away. He didn't know what to do. So he took some of, a few of his belongings, put them in a wheelbarrow, and decided he was going to simply live evidently like a tramp or something, and he was going to hike all the way around Australia. So he walked and walked and walked and walked and walked. Two years later, he got home with no cancer. Did you know that one of the root cause, one of the root, main root causes of cancer is a lack of oxygen in the body? If the, if the body's oxygen deprived from a lack of exercise, from a high-fat diet, it's going to trigger an environment which will result in cancer. She has all kinds of good information. She brings out the fact that the human mind, the human mind can continually improve as long as we live. The, human, the body tends to break, the, but the human mind is susceptible of improvement as long as you live. But what we do with our physical habits has a huge impact upon how our spiritual life functions. But the, but one of the points I'd like to encourage you with is some of us are more advanced in age. We might be past 60, 70. You know, there was a lady, and this must have been an Adventist lady. Her name was Holda. Crooks. Has anybody heard her story? Hold the crooks. Yeah, yeah. Evidently, when she was in her 60s, her son said to her, he said, Mom, he said, you need to eat better. Mom, you need to exercise. And he kept working on her. And um, she started exercising. She began climbing mountains. She was feeling so good. And she climbed all the 14,000-foot mountains in North America. And when she was in her early 90s, around 92 or so, she climbed Mount Fuji in Japan and Mount Whitney, uh, wherever that's at. Washington State, I think. But the point is, is you can maintain a really good level of physical fitness if you will go for it. The body won't improve. And even when you're young, it's nice. We all want to be healthier, don't we? Isn't that right? Like they say, the biggest room in the world is the room for improvement. Yeah. So we all need to, we all need to keep improving. Let me just ponder with you a little bit more on this. We live in a, basically, and we live in a sedentary society. 
Okay? Uh, you know, it's really kind of a ripoff. You have th- millions of people sitting around watching athletes who are in good shape, and then they're sitting around not getting in good shape. Now, that's, that's not a very good trade-off, is it? Why don't we all get in good shape? So you know what you need to do is gradually, gradually keep, keep pushing, improve your exercise, extend. Um, my wife, back in January, I mentioned to you this last time, but I'll mention to you again, she decided I need to lose some weight and get exercising, so she did, and she lost over 20 pounds. By the way, she climbed a 14,000-foot mountain this past week, and uh, so she was pretty happy about that. She said, I don't think I could have done it a few months back. But she started walking, started feeling better. One day she went out and jogged a mile. She said, ah, my hip doesn't hurt, my knee doesn't hurt. Wow, really good. So a few times this summer already she run 12 12 miles on a Sunday morning. So, you know, the body is susceptible of improving itself. Please be wise and careful. Uh, But the body can really improve. So we need that good physical fitness. Physical fitness impacts your spiritual life. Brothers and sisters, we need to be down on things like caffeine and alcohol. We really need to get off of meat because it is a health disadvantage. Um, Look, following Jesus is not just doing what feels good. Following Jesus is a discipline. His disciples were called disciples. That means a discipline. You do things that are contrary to your nature. Why? Because by denying ourselves, we will have a much greater gain. And, you know, we're all different. You all have to experiment. But I have found with myself that my appetite uh, is uh, not accurate. So I have found that if I eat how much I want to eat, I don't feel good. So I have found that if I eat less than I want to eat, I feel good. In fact, I have a paper with me in, in my case today. Anybody can have a copy of it. It's a two-page, uh, it's a one-page, two-sided short paper on fasting and on chewing your food well. Okay? And I hope it will at least inspire you to do a little bit of fasting, chewing your food well. It's just some good information condensed in a little bit of space. By the way, when I'm working really, really hard, it's hard for me to fast. So you kind of have to set aside a day for resting when you do that, at least slow down. Last week I spoke in a church a couple times, and uh, uh, not for the sermon, but Friday night and Sabbath morning at Sabbath school, and the pastor was there and had a chance to visit with him afterward. He told me about a, a man that he either, either knew or met that had uh, a large brain tumor, okay, and uh, pretty lar- large, large. And I think... If I remember the story right, the doctors couldn't help him, so he went to someone else and uh, some other natural person, and they told him what to do, and he got rid of the brain tumor. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, he juiced 10 different kinds of vegetables. I don't know if it was fruits, too, but he's... In fact, I could probably get in touch with him. He said, I wrote everything down. And uh, he, um, like red beets, carrots, peppers, different things... And he, he was supposed to drink the juice three times a day, and if he got hungry otherwise, he was to eat only fruit and to do that for one month. Not only that, do you remember in the Bible when Jesus healed people, he used clay sometimes? Did you know there's remedial benefit in clay? And this man was also instructed to take uh, fresh clay from down lower and uh, make a poultice on his head and wrap it on there during the night. 
to help suck poisons out of his head. And they said, you actually feel like your brains are being sucked out, but they said that's not what's happening. And it made his head all pimply because it was sucking the stuff out. But anyway, he did that, a fresh poultice of clay every night, 30 days on nothing but juice, fruit if he got hungry for it, and he was completely cured. Isn't that amazing? See, that's the wonder of fasting is that when you stop eating, the body will do a cleansing on itself that it can't do while you're on an eating schedule. I would challenge anyone here, if you're willing, to set aside two days next week and eat only 50% of the amount of food that you normally eat. Try it. Okay? By the way, did you know you get more value out of food if you chew it thoroughly than if you eat it too fast? We're all kind of guilty sometimes or too many times eating too fast. You get more nutrition out of it. Um, I read a story of um, I think I read and heard this both, but of a man and a son who were placed in a prison camp and the amount of food available was extremely limited. And what they did was they ate their food with very thorough, very thorough chewing. And they out-survived many of the people in that prison camp. Interesting. But try it. Try some fasting. Uh, Try living on nothing but watermelon for a day. Try eating half as much food for a day as you normally do. Experiment with it. The cleaner your body is, the more energy you will have, and so we need a cleaner body. Anything that will clean the body, exercise, fasting, breathing, water drinking, juice, uh, anything like that. So what's going to happen then is the body becomes more clean and the mind becomes more clean. So your mental activity is better and your energy is better and your spiritual life will improve. So strive for it. Don't let me forget, I got some of those uh, papers there in the back. Um, But we have all kinds of counsel in the spirit of prophecy and even the Bible on this. You know, the Bible says that when Jesus uh, was on this earth, that he ate butter and he ate honey. Did you know that? Jesus ate butter and he ate honey. But the Bible says, butter and honey shall he eat that he may know to resist the evil and choose the good, Isaiah 7. In other words, enough sweet, but not too much, a little bit, whatever, but not too much. You eat too much sweet, you eat too much fat, you will not have a healthy body. Yeah. Um, There are many people who have spiritual problems, psychological problems, moral problems, because their body is not healthy. In the book Education, page 209, Ellen White quotes Ezekiel chapter 16, which refers to the, to the problems in Sodom. By the way, anyway, I'll comment on this a little bit. But in Ezekiel 16, it says, This was the sin of thy sister Sodom. Pride. Pride, probably because of their prosperity. Pride, fullness of bread, meaning they had lots to eat, and an abundance of idleness, meaning they didn't do much. So they had lots to eat. And little to do, and what happens to the human body when that occurs? It degenerates, right? So in Genesis, we know that because they had lots to eat and little to do, they became morally depraved. 
By the way, brothers and sisters, the devil is after you, and he's after me, and he's trying to make sin look very enticing to us. Do not have anything to do with it. He's taken people the direct road to hell, many of them in these last days, by sensuality and indulgence of appetite. Uncontrolled passion and indulgence of appetite. Because we have a lower fallen carnal nature, we will have a battle with these things, but we must win them. And like the spirit of prophecy tells us, if you gain the victory over appetite, you'll gain the victory over every other thing. So God's people were required to fellowship. They were required to repent of their sins, to search their souls, repent and put away their sins, to follow a course. In that case, it was so short, completely, complete abstemiousness. And to get ready to meet their Lord so that they were right with him. We are told that the health message, that the health message was given us by God to pure, help purify the church and to reduce, to lessen suffering in the world. There are so many people suffering today, mental problems, depression, emotional problems, because their health is not good. And if they realize the tremendous power of self-discipline, exercise, water, proper diet, you know, and you have to experiment, too. You know, not everybody's the same. Do you know Ellen White couldn't eat beans? She couldn't eat beans. When she first went to a vegetarian diet, she went to the table for three days and couldn't take one single bite. She said, this looks disgusting. She finally got hungry enough and started eating. I was in a sub shop one time last summer, and uh, I, said, I, want, I said, we want a vegetarian sub. I was with Jeff Weir. And... Um, the lady um, made a comment, and I was there the next day. She said, I don't see how you can stand to be a vegetarian. I said to her, I said, I don't see how you can stand to eat meat. I was just had a little bit of fun with her. <laughs> I trying to encourage her a little bit. Brothers and sisters, you know eating is fun. God wants you to have fun eating. But let me share something with you. Feeling healthy is way more fun. It's way more fun. And God wants you to be happy. You can really improve your health if you really start to go for it. So these are things that we need to do. You know what? Jesus is coming soon. And um, I have all kinds of things that I could say, but I think I've about talked to you enough. I think what I'm going to do is conclude by reading a few sentences out of the book, um, Great Controversy. And just before they do that, I'm going to refer to something else, and I'll try and wrap this up. In the book, Selected Messages, around page 120, and in there we have a section on revival and reformation. And it says this, that we are told by the God's servant that a revival of primitive godliness, a revival of godliness is our greatest need. And it should be our first work to see this, to seek for this, a revival of godliness. Then it also says this, are we waiting for the whole church to be revived? That time will never come. So if you're looking around at a preacher or a parish, uh, or some parishioners or whatever and say, well, if they're not quite excited about it yet, uh, I'm going to cut. No. We must look to Jesus Christ alone in the heavenly sanctuary and to the truths that God has given us. We cannot copy the example of any person. We must follow Christ, brothers and sisters, not man. Don't wait around on man.
I want to read to you just a few sentences from the book Great Controversy. Brothers and sisters, this is such a powerful book showing us what is going to happen in these last days. And I want to read to you just a few sentences here from this book. We have a very clear prophetic illumination as to exactly what's going to happen. And we have a very clear prophetic illumination as to how to get ready for these last days. Let me read to you just a little bit of it. That voice shakes the heavens and the earth, referring to Revelation 6, the voice of God. There is a mighty earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. The firmament appears to open and shut. The glory from the throne of God seems flashing through. The mountains shake like a reed in the wind and ragged rocks are scattered on every side. There is a roar as of a a coming tempest. The sea is lashed into fury. There is heard the shriek of a hurricane like the voice of demons upon a mission of destruction. The whole earth heaves and swells like the waves of the sea. Its surface is breaking up. Its very foundations seem to be giving way. Mountain chains are sinking. I saw a lot of 14,000-foot mountains this past week. Majestic. 637, Great Controversy. Mountain chains are sinking. Inhabited islands disappear. The seaports that have become like Sodom for wickedness are swallowed up by the angry waters. Babylon the Great has come in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Great hailstones, every one about the weight of a talent, are doing their work of destruction. Do you know how much a talent is? It's at least 60 pounds. Did you know that there are some large hailstones that have already fallen in isolated places around, some like baseball size? Did you know that there was, you can look it up on the internet. There was a, a hailstone the size of a microwave oven that hit Loma Linda since the year 2000. Went right through one of its buildings. Size of a microwave. I think it was a recreational building. Of course, they had to repair it. There's going to be a whole bunch of those come down in the seven last plagues. The proudest cities of the earth are laid low. The lordly palaces upon which the world's great men have lavished their wealth in order to glorify themselves, are crumbling to ruin before their eyes. Prison walls are rent asunder, and God's people, who have been held in bondage for their faith, are set free. Graves are opened, and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now listen to this. Some of us, they may get our necks, or we may die from other causes. We don't know. We should strive to be translated. We don't know for sure the future, but listen to this. All who have died in the faith of the third angel's message come forth from the tomb, glorified to hear God's covenant of peace with those who have kept his law. All who have died in the faith of the third angel's message come forth from the tomb, glorified to hear God's covenant of peace. 
Above the terrific roar of thunder, voices mysterious and awful declare the doom of the wicked. The words are spoken, are not comprehended by all, but they are distinctly understood by the false teachers. Brothers and sisters, do you realize that the Catholic Church is now being exposed by the world itself as never before? Do you realize that if you have a religion that teaches the law of God is not important, that obedience is not essential to salvation, that Jesus doesn't actually give you victory over sin, and then you impose on that circumstance and enforce celibacy, I mean, God can give you power to live celibate, but if you are living celibate and you don't believe that you have to overcome your sins, what is that going to stop the, the tide of iniquity? It's, it's horrific. Catholicism has mentioned the Bible is the man of sin, the lawless one. Brothers and sisters, though even the world now is blowing the horn on the beast. And yet, amazingly so, at the end of time, the world is going to follow the beast. That's amazing. But God will have a people, both inside his church and outside of his church, who are going to wake up and say, no, we will follow Christ in the seventh-day Sabbath and not the beast. The words spoken are not comprehended by all, but they are distinctly understood by the false teachers. Those who a little before were so reckless, so boastful and defiant, so exultant in their cruelty to God's commandment-keeping people are now overwhelmed with consternation and shuddering and fear. Their wails are heard above the sound of the elements. Did you get that? Their wails, that is their cries, are heard above the sound of the elements. We have no idea of the excruciating horror of being amongst the lost. Demons acknowledge the deity of Christ. Demons acknowledge the deity of Christ and tremble before his power. Then a couple more sentences. Those who have sacrificed all for Christ, those who have sacrificed all for Christ are now hidden as in the secret of the Lord's pavilion. They have been tested, and before the world and the despisers of truth, they have evinced their fidelity to him who died for them. A marvelous change has come over those who have held fast their integrity in the very face of death. Right here, brothers and sisters, is the book. We need to read it. We need to get it out. Jesus is coming soon. Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Now is the decision time. Don't hesitate at all. Give your life to Christ. Give up your sins, whatever they may be. The Lord is coming back. And your life, your decisions are going to affect other people. Just remember, you getting to heaven is not just you. There will be people saved or people lost because of your influence. So don't back off. It's not just you. It's like the man on the path who found the brother who was already down. And he helped him and they both made it. Don't give up. Don't turn back. May God bless you.